right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm telling you, I needed to be here today uh, to worship God. It was amazing. I want to take a minute before uh, we get started and say hello to our family joining us right now at the North Campus and everybody joining us online from wherever you are watching from. And a special shout out to those who are watching from Upshur County Jail. Come on, South Campus. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. We're grateful that you are with us today. And I want to say just quickly, if you are online, every week I am meeting people at both campuses who tell me that they have been with us online for a while and they're just starting to come. And so if that's you, hey, we would love to see you come visit us. Easter is a great time for that. In fact, that's a good segue into the next topic, Easter. Guys, how many of you know Easter is right around the corner? Like it is three weeks away and uh, it's very close and it's a it's going to be a day of a great celebration it's for christians for followers of jesus this is an exciting day and so we're going to celebrate jesus on that day and i want to just encourage you if you call this your home to invite somebody in fact we have left cards on your seats or in the cup holders at north for you to take and invite someone it's like 87 percent of people say that they would go to church with someone if they were invited by someone they knew the statistics are super high for that. They're just waiting on an invitation. So let me encourage you, if you know somebody that does not have a good church home that, that is not in church, hey, invite them to come experience Jesus the same way you have uh, here. So that is happening April 17th. And then as some of you know, we talked about this uh, several weeks ago, that our North Campus, the people we lease from, uh, are not allowing us to lease from them anymore. And so we are looking for a, another location for our campus there, another house, if you will, for them. But we don't have that just yet, so our plan is to the Sunday after Easter, we will be gathering here in this house for multiple services. So um, the service times, just to get it in your mind to start, we'll see where we have to go, is 9, 10, 30, and 12. And so, listen, if you're here at the South Campus, we're, we're, it's like this, okay? If you have family that has to rebuild a home they have to move in with you for a little bit while they're rebuilding their home, okay? So that family is gonna be joining us in this home here, this house, and, and I, I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad you're excited because there's gonna be someone in your seat. And I just want you to know, if, if your extended cousin is sitting in your seat, you don't get mad at your extended cousin. You're like, hey, cuz, that's your seat today. You know, I'm gonna be here early next time, right? So uh, that, that's the way it is, right? We just have, it's a family reunion for a few, I don't know how long, but hopefully not that long. Uh, we're still gonna be looking for a house uh, for that campus there at North. So uh, there are growing pains with it, but uh, God is preparing a way for that. You know, I told you this before that God gave me that word more last year for this year. This was the year that God was going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine in his church. So he gets the glory. And I still believe he's going to get the glory in something because he gave me that word before I knew about the North Campus. So I'm still standing on that word of more. Um, so be looking forward to that right after Easter. Okay. All right. We are in a series uh, called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And uh, we've been in this series now for four or five weeks. This is a seven-week series that'll take us into Easter. And it is based on a book by a man named Jack Hayford that is actually called How to Live Through a Bad Day. Because how many of you know on this earth, in this life, we will have bad days, right? We were never promised a life of no bad days. 
uh, you're gonna have them, so how do we get through them? And the way that we get through them is we look to Jesus. We look at what he did. That's been kind of the theme verse that we've been looking at in Hebrews 12, one and two, that tells us to run this race, race with endurance. The life that we're in is a race that we gotta run with endurance. So how do we do that? We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as he went through his bad days, we look at what he did and what he said in those moments as an example to us that we can learn from on how to get through our difficult moments in life. So if you're just tuning in with us, or if, this is, if you're new to us, let me just tell you a few of those topics because I think they're very powerful. If you've missed them, I wanna encourage you to go back and listen because we talked about how to forgive everybody who's ruining your life or trying to ruin your life because uh, that's what we think they're doing. We talked about helping others that are in the same struggle that you're in. We talked about taking care of those closest to you in the middle of your pain, not neglecting them. They often feel it the most. And then last week, uh, my father uh, preached a great message on aiming your hard questions at God and not men. In this life, you will have hard questions and God can handle them. And I wanna encourage you to keep taking them to him. And today we're gonna continue in the fifth statement which is found in the book of John. We've been back and forth in John some. These seven statements are spread out across the four gospels. But if you remember a few weeks ago, I told you about John. He's the one who thought he was Jesus's favorite because he always referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Some of you, I know that ruined, you thought you were the favorite. Um, I heard a lot of I am's here. You, you, yeah, you are, you are. Okay. <laughs> we, we all are, it's okay. No, uh. But John really was. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So John 19, we're going back to this statement here. John 19, uh, verse 28. And I want just to set kind of this scene again, just to remember, we're looking at these statements that Jesus is making in his, some of his most painful moments. He's been on the cross. He's been suffering. He's been whipped. He's been bruised. He's been beaten beyond recognition. And here he is on the cross in verse 28. And the Bible says that Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked it, they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. That small phrase there, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Now, this is another fulfillment of many prophecies that happened in this time that Jesus was on the cross. We talked about a couple of them already. But this is a reference to in Psalms where it mentions that he was thirsty and they gave him vinegar to drink or sour wine to drink, depending on the translations that you're reading. But here, I want you to picture this moment. Jesus, in the middle of his excruciating pain, he was suffering beyond what we could ever understand, in the middle of dehydration, because that's what happens when you're being crucified. I studied what happens in crucifixions because you're bleeding out. You're you're sweating profusely. Your body is going through this incredible trauma and dehydration is a part of that. They're they're incredibly thirsty in this moment. That's why these guys are standing there with this sour wine to give him because this is a normal thing for those who are dying on a cross. And Jesus makes this powerful statement, right? You're like, how's that powerful? Well, everything that Jesus said and did has a purpose. He didn't say things for no reason. Everything he did has a purpose. He could have easily saved himself. He could have easily called down angels to take him off the cross, yet he didn't. He suffered and he died. And what he was doing in this moment is he was modeling his humanity. 
He was fully God, yet fully man. And we see many times in scripture where God, where Jesus as God was fully man and modeled his humanity. We see that he was tired and he had to sleep, even slept in the middle of a storm as we talked about before, right? We've seen that he was hungry. We see that he suffered in the garden and even asked God, I don't want to suffer. Take this suffering away from me. That's what we do. We ask God to take the suffering away. Jesus was doing that very thing in the garden. We see the shortest verse in scripture that people like to quote when they're memorizing a verse is what? Jesus wept, right? If you ask someone to memorize a verse, they're going to pick that one. Jesus wept. We see that Jesus was a human. He was crying in that moment. But the powerful thing about this statement is in his divinity, he didn't need help, but in his humanity, he requested help. And it teaches us that we have to be human enough to acknowledge our need. In the middle of our painful moments, our difficult season, our struggles in our life, we have to be human enough to acknowledge our need. You see, Jesus did this a number of times, even just before he went to the cross, he was carrying the cross. I mean, you know, he didn't make it all the way. Somebody had to step in and help him carry his cross, yet here he is, the son of God, but he still needed help. And I think it's interesting, he requested help from the people who were crucifying him. I'm thirsty. This powerful statement that teaches us so much about acknowledging our need. But if Jesus modeled this, why do we have such a hard time with this? Why do we have such a hard time admitting our humanity? Asking for help in the middle of our trouble, especially men, if we're honest. Men, let me pick on you for a minute. Somebody said, whoa, it's all of us. Okay. But men, I'm a man. So I identify more with what men go through, right? Men, if we're honest, we were told like, you just be tough, just toughen up. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't ask for help. I remember a time I was with a friend in Lowe's and we were looking for a part for a project and we had been walking up and down aisles for quite some time. And I finally just was like, man, why don't we ask somebody? And he was like, no way. Like, I'm not asking somebody here. I probably know more than them. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> like, tired of walking around. So, so I, I see a person from Lowe's just down the aisle. And I'm like, look, there's somebody right there. And, he, and he's like, I'm out of here. He walked to another aisle. I asked the guy for help. Within seconds, I had the part I needed. And we were gone, right? But man, we're stubborn. We would rather be lost than ask for directions. We would rather them think, oh no, it's a detour. I know where I'm going. And you got no idea where you are, right? <laughs> it's all of us, but I'm just picking on the men for a minute, right? We, we can all do that. But even in our painful moments of life, we definitely don't ask for help. We can't let, we can't let people know what's going on. Why don't we do that? Because of pride. The reality is it's pride. Pride is the main reason people don't get honest. And pride is rooted in fear. It's rooted in fear. What? Fear of the, what they'll know if I have to ask for help. People who are often appearing the most prideful are often the most fearful. Think about bullies, right? Why do, why do we think, why do bullies bully people? They bully them because they, they've got to inflict pain on you or make you think that you're less than so they feel better than so you can't see the weakness in them. It's, it's a deterrent of attention. They're trying to get it off of them so you don't see who they really are. They take the scripture, do unto others as they do to you and turn it in, or as you want them to do, and turn it before they do to you, right? I'm trying to make sure that I hurt you before you can hurt me. It's pride. 
And pride is rooted in fear, but it says you can't know my weakness, you can't know who I really am. And I think society to some degree has really pushed us to this because there's always this picture of perfection out there, especially on social media. It has really hurt people's ability to be honest and open. We have to, we have to project this perfect persona or image of ourselves. And so every picture you see has been photoshopped a hundred times to be a totally different person than reality. People take pictures with filters that take away all their wrinkles, all their freckles, all their imperfections, right? And then you meet them in person and you're like, who are you, right? <laughs> Because we're trying so hard. We're trying, now I'm going to the ladies, right? <laughs> we're trying so hard to hide it. I, 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 this is sad, but I read a story that, about how people will take hundreds and hundreds of selfies so they can find the right one. The lighting has to be right. My eyes have to be right. It has to be high enough. I don't have a double chin. And then they have all of these things. Like, ladies, I've seen you do it, right? Y'all be at restaurants, you know, trying to get a great... <laughs> but it's sad because I have read stories of how people have taken their own life because they couldn't get a perfect selfie because they were afraid that somebody would see them for who they really were. And that's sad. And that's an extreme case, but this is where it can go if we don't learn to deal with this fear that drives us to not be open. What, what fear? Let me give you a few fears that keeps us from admitting our needs. One, the fear of rejection, fear of rejection. This is one of the greatest fears people have in relationships. They're afraid they're going to be rejected by others. How many of you, just by a show of hand, have ever been rejected before, right? I'm getting rid of that, some of that, okay. Now, not me, I can't identify with you. I've never been, I was always picked first, always got the number of the girl I wanted. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I did ask my wife if I could make that joke, so. We've all been rejected. But that fear of rejection causes us not to be willing to open up with people, not to be willing to be ourselves. And so from that fear, we have to create a false persona of who we think people will like. Then we have to live that false persona. We have to keep it up because we think they like it. And if they know the real me, they'll reject me. And when we get to that place, we start living for approval instead of from approval. Which I'm so grateful for what Jesus did. Ephesians 1, 6 says that to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You are already accepted in him. But that fear of rejection causes us to fight for the approval of man, the acceptance of man. Like Galatians 6, 1, Paul talks about, if I was living for the acceptance of man, I wouldn't be a follower of Christ. Because I'm already approved, now I can walk in that approval. But this fear of rejection... Of what, if, what if they reject me? It'll keep you from ever getting honest with people in your life. The second fear is the fear of being hurt. This is a big one. Because in any relationship, there's an opportunity for hurt. Anytime you get open, there will always be an opportunity for hurt, for being wounded. And what I've seen is that often past hurts cause us to build walls to keep people out so they can't, so you can't hurt me. I'm going to go ahead and put up all of these walls to keep you out, not realizing who you're keeping out, maybe who God is sending in. And, and I think it's because of an inner vow that we've made in that moment of hurt. We get hurt and we say, I'll never let anyone else in again. And I think almost all of us could say we've said that at that point about some part of our life where we were hurt and said, I'm never going to let them in again. And we're keeping out the very people that God may be sending to help us. But that 
Fear of being hurt often triggers a flight mentality. You've heard of your fight or flight mentality when, when something come, becomes familiar, when you begin to feel that again. So you start to get into a friendship or a relationship and that time for honesty comes and you start, then it, it, it's like, uh-oh, this feels familiar and you just run. And that flight mentality will keep you away from what God has for you for the rest of your life. But fear of being hurt keeps us from being vulnerable. Vulnerability opens the door for hurt, yes, but it also opens the door for everything that God has for you. <laughs> if the church would just be vulnerable, the world would see a picture of health. But we come in here and we pretend that we're somebody else. And my heart would be that God makes New Covenant Church a place of honesty, vulnerability, openness, fear of being hurt. The third fear is the fear of exposure, of being exposed. <laughs> oh, if, I, if, I, if I'm exposed, the lie is, is then they'll know who you really are and you'll be a fraud. If you get exposed, they'll know who you really are. They'll know what you've really, what you've really done and then they're done with you. That, that's the fear that the enemy brings. And this is what the enemy's plan has always been is to keep you in the dark, to try to hide the parts of your life that are most vulnerable because he's convinced you that no one will be your friend anymore, that everybody will abandon you if they really know who you are. And this is the lie that he's been telling since the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, right? They had perfect relationship with God. There was nothing hidden. Everything was open. And when they sinned, shame entered in. And what did they do? They, they covered themselves and they tried to hide as if hiding from God was a possibility, but they hid from God. And from that moment, we've been hiding from God and others. We've been covering ourselves in shame, trying to think, I can't let them know who I am. And the lie the enemy told to get them to sin is you will be like God. And they already were because you were created in his image. But when sin came in and we tried to hide, we thought, I can't let him know I'm not like him. And I put it this way in my notes. If you don't embrace your humanity, you'll try to live like divinity. You were never meant to live like God. You are not God. And if you don't embrace that humanity, the fact that you have flaws, the fact that you have weaknesses, the fact that you have needs, you'll put up this persona that you're perfect and that you're trying to be God-like. And the reality is, is that we have needs. Acts 17, 24 and 25, I love the way it puts it. He says, he is God who made the whole world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. God in his divinity has no needs. And he gives himself, he, he himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Every need we have is satisfied in God. He supplies it, but he created us to be dependent upon him first and he created us to be dependent upon others. So he supplies our need in multiple ways. So the antidote to pride is humility and honesty. The antidote to that pride that keeps people away is admitting, hey, I'm, I got an issue. I got some needs. I may need some help in an area of my life. I don't have it all together. Here's what I want you to understand today. Having needs doesn't make you weak. It just makes you human. If we could get that into our head and let it go into our heart, we'll start being honest about the things in our life. Needs are not sin. Needs are not burdens. Needs are not excuses. Needs are just human. So welcome to humanity. You're just a human. Turn to someone next to you and just say, you're needy. You're needy. 
I, I hate to tell you this, you're needy. Put that in the chat to somebody. You're, you're needy. You're needy, right? Some of y'all are saying it too much to one person. <laughs> Dial it back a little bit. Okay, turn to the next person and say, because you're human. Because you're human. I'm helping some marriages here. All right, so if we understand that, because we're human and we all have needs, God makes provision for us in our needs, right? So let me give you three things that God provides for us to combat those fears we talked about earlier, okay? Here's the first one if you're taking notes. God connects us in family. This is one way he provides for our need. This, this comes against that fear of rejection. He puts us in a family, the family of God. Ephesians 2, 19 says it this way, that now you are, you Gentiles, and by the way, you're a Gentile, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. God uses the language of family. He's into family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he's into generations. He's into family. And in a family, what do you do? He uses this language because you care for each other in a family. You help each other in a family. It's in a family that you grow, right? This is the picture he's trying to get us to get. And he uses the picture of member of a family because we are now members of the household of God. I love the way he uses this analogy, Paul does, in Ephesians 4, 16, when he says that he makes, being Jesus, the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the picture of the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head, we are the body, which is our interdependent upon each other, right? Members of the body, helping each other grow so that we're full of love. It, we're flourishing in every way. We need each other. This is why he uses the language of family. In 1 Corinthians 12, though, he talks about the body even more. I'm not gonna read it, but I would encourage you to study that out at some point. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the analogy of the body again and how Christ is the head and every part of us. We, we can't reject another part and say, I don't have need of you, right? Like, you know, the hand can't say, I don't need the foot and the eye can't say, I don't need the nose, right? But something powerful that he talks about in there is that some parts that are more vulnerable, vulnerable, gotta say that, right? Are or have to, be, have to be covered up. They can't be exposed. And, and in your vulnerability, the body covers you up. Like you don't expose the heart or the internal organs to danger. They're covered up by other parts. And that part serves to make sure that that organ is protected. Amen. And those who may seem the smallest are often the ones that we have to give the most honor to, the scripture says. If you think about your toe, your pinky toe, right? It's a small part of your body. Until you stub it, you don't think about it. And when it's hurt, the rest of your body is rushing to take care of that tiny little part. This is, this is the picture. If we can get honest with each other, we'll cover each other. We'll protect each other. We'll honor those who don't seem like they get honor often, right? This is the picture of the body. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we're all glad. When one has a need, we all pitch in and help with the need. That's why Galatians 6 says that we're to share each other's burdens because we're the body. So in that, to, to oppose the fear of rejection, God puts us in a family, the family of God. The second, second way that he prov provides for us in our needs is God heals us in relationships. So he puts us in these families and then he heals us in these same relationships. This combats that, that fear of being hurt. 
Like if I get into the relationship, I'm gonna get hurt. Yet ironically, it's when we get into the relationship, we get healed. Sometimes uh, these relationships, ironically, I think, it's, it's the ones that we, we're afraid of, but yet it's the vehicle which God uses to heal us. I was thinking about in Luke chapter five, uh, the, the paralytic man. We've all heard this story if you grew up in church, but there was a man who could not walk and he heard Jesus was nearby and his friends take him to Jesus. You know the story, he gets up, they get up on the roof uh, because Jesus is in this house and they can't get in the door. So they cut the roof open and they lower the man down and Jesus heals the man because of the faith of his friends, yes. right? We all love that part. I would have loved to have been there, by the way. I mean, just, I wouldn't have loved if it was my house, but I would have loved to have been there to see this. And we talk about the friends often, as we should, because we all want to be that friend who gets to lower their friend through the roof. And, and sometimes we need to be that friend, but sometimes we just need to let ourselves be lowered. Because that man had to admit his need. I can't get myself to Jesus. And his friend stepped in and helped him. We love the friends, but none of us love to be the guy that had to let them carry them all the way there. Because we think, oh, that guy was weak. No, he couldn't walk. He needed help. You're just a human. You need some help. Sometimes we just got to let ourselves be lowered. And this is one of the main messages you'll hear us preach here. Is that we're not meant to do life alone. You're not good alone. We're better together. God puts us in this community for so many reasons. That's why we have groups. We, we talk about groups so much. We're not a church uh, with these groups. We want to be a church of groups, of, of connectivity all over where we're connected in these familial relationships so that we can get healing. James 5.16 is a scripture we often share here and I, and I have to keep sharing it because we need to keep living it. But James 5, 16 says to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. You'll get wonderful results when you get honest with people. You'll get healing when you get honest with people. I just think that's powerful that God uses people to heal people who are hurt by people. It's just true, you know? So, he made a provision for us so we can be healed in this relationship. And the third way is that God frees us in transparency. This combats the fear of exposure. If they really knew who I was, but if we really get open, there's true freedom. The language of scripture is that he calls us out of darkness into the light. We're called children of the light. So he's always calling us out of isolation, out of secrecy, out of shame, out of sin, into this wonderful, marvelous light that only Jesus provides. First Peter 2, 9, I love, this is a banner verse for your life, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own special possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. And once he's called you out of darkness into light, you've got to start living in that light. What does light do? It brings warmth. It brings healing. It, it, it brings freedom. Darkness brings bondage and shame, but light brings healing and freedom. Because whatever you conceal has power over you, but whatever you reveal, you get power over. If it stays in the dark, it will control your life. It will be a bondage to you, but when you get it into the light, 
there is healing in that moment. I was thinking about just this last week, I was talking with a friend and he was feeling just really heavy and he didn't understand. He didn't know what was going on. He was afraid to talk about it. But when he started talking about it, it's like light came in. He just said, I feel light. I feel free. I feel warm. It's the light of God coming from the transparency with which he came and opened up about it. And the heaviness just seemed to lift off of him. I'm just telling you, that's what happens when you can get to the place and you can admit something's not right in here. I'm not, something's wrong. I need some help. And you just get honest. This freedom comes in. This is the way we were designed to live. Look at 1 John 1, 7. It says that if we are living in the light, and if you are called out of darkness into the light, you got to keep living in the light. As God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are walking in the light, there's an indicator here that our ability to live in the light is connected to our ability to stay in fellowship with one another. That if we want to live in the light, we have to stay in fellowship with each other because that brings light into our life. And that word fellowship there in the Greek, which is the New Testament was written in Greek, is the word koinonia. And that word koinonia is a deep word. It means to participate in or to commune or to share intimacy. So it's, it's more than a surface fellowship. It is intimacy. And there can be no intimacy without transparency. And God designed that you and I would live in transparent relationships with each other so we can get free. So that the burdens that we walk around this world with get lifted out of our life. And we, we get that when we come to the place where we realize that the grace we need sometimes, the love we need sometimes, and the acceptance we need comes through his people, which he's connected us to. And it's in this transparency and community and fellowship with God that we find true freedom. So here's what my hope for you today is that we would walk away from here with this phrase in mind. Don't be afraid of your humanity. Let it lead you into community. When you can admit I'm a human, Jesus said, I thirst. I need help. I can't, I can't get myself a drink in this moment. And he was God. We can say, hey, I need some help in this moment. I need someone to come alongside me. I need someone to pray for me. I need someone to help me in this difficult season of my life, this pain that I'm going through. I'm struggling. I can't get out of it in my own. And when you come to that place, you become free to be who God created you to be because there's nothing hidden anymore. And I just feel like I'm supposed to tell some people this today. You are not above problems. You are not above pain. You are not above needing help. But you are not a burden. You are not weak. And you are not alone. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy. You are not a burden. Your needs are not burdens. They're an opportunity for us to be the body of Christ. To be the family of God. Having needs doesn't make you weak. It just makes you human. So my encouragement is let's learn from Jesus today. Let's learn from what he did on the cross in this painful moment and get honest, right? It's the message of the gospel, by the way. See, your relationship with Jesus starts when you acknowledge your need for him. When you realize I have needs. I can't save myself. I can't pay for the penalty of my sin myself. I have needs. Salvation starts when you acknowledge your need for God. Growth starts when you acknowledge your need for people. You don't wanna stay at the same place you've always been. I'm in the kingdom, but now let me grow. Let me flourish. Let me help each other grow. That's when growth starts. And that's my prayer and my hope for you today. Can we take a minute and go to the Lord in prayer? And 
What I want us to do at both campuses online, wherever you are watching or listening from, I want us just to take a minute and ask, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Because I believe the Holy Spirit speaks when we share his word, when we come together. He's speaking something to you. It may not be the same thing he's speaking to me, but he's speaking something to you. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd speak to us. What do we need to learn from this today, God? I pray that shame would go today. God. I pray that light would come into people's life today. I pray, God, for courage and boldness, Father, to allow people in again. Courage and boldness to, to be honest about our needs, to be transparent about the issues we're struggling with, God, so that we could say, I'm not going to be where I am today in one year from now. I'm going to be further along. I'm going to be further in my calling. I'm going to be further in my purpose. I'm going to be healthier than I am today. Not because I'm superhuman, because I was human enough to acknowledge my needs. I pray for healing today to happen in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How I'd like to. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.